Welcome back to the Valley to Peak Nutrition Podcast. This is part two of a two-part episode we are doing on uh, exercise and heart health as well as nutrition and heart health. In part one, if you've not listened to that, I'd recommend you go back and look at that, which was just most recently launched. You can hit pause. This episode's not going anywhere. You can go listen to that, come back and tackle this one. In part two, we're looking at, okay, if there is a potential of too much, what's the risk of doing absolutely nothing and where does that line fall? Basically, what's the minimum effective dose? What's the least amount that we could do and still get the benefit? So we look at that in this episode and we also tackle uh, some questions on the topic of nutrition as they relate to heart health. What's relevant? What's true? What's garbage? So again, if you don't have a notebook handy, you may want to grab one because we cover a ton of topics in this one as we look at those two topics together. So without further ado, here is part two. On the flip side of things, what's the risk to not doing anything to being uh, as you you put in your blog uh, you know you said the the quote couch potato right the person who no exercise at all and let's just say the the risk of sitting all day right because there's been a lot of things that have come up lately like even you buy wearables now like the apple watch it's buzzing your wrists to stand up every so many minutes and is there a risk to sitting too long and not doing anything at all yeah i like your I like your term couch potato. Um, I mean, it's estimated that one in four Americans is a couch potato. And that is, there's actually, there's an actual definition of a couch potato. And that's somebody who sits for more than eight hours in a day. And, you know, there was a, a, uh, oh, kind of an advertising campaign a few years ago saying that sitting was the new smoking. And, you know, you needed to get up and and move every 30 minutes. And there was, it's because there was a study that came out suggesting that people who sat for more than 30 minutes at a time had a higher risk of, of heart attacks. If you look at a study called the inner heart study, which looked at um, thousands of people with heart attacks across 52 countries. So a worldwide study, they attributed one in every nine heart attacks to a sedentary lifestyle. So it, exercise is tremendous. Set being sedentary is the opposite. And, you know, like I said, the, the benefit, the life expectancy increase with exercise is six years. If you sit, that means you're going to live six years less. So it would be safe. It would be safe to say, and again, probably a little aggressive terminology here, a little dramatic. <laughs> it's, it's safer to go out and do something. The, the, the risk of going to do something is much lower than saying, ah, I don't even want to risk it. I think I'm just going to, you know, not engage in any activity at all. That would be a worse risk than to go out and do something. Yeah, the, the risk benefit ratio for exercise is so unbelievably good that I would never suggest that somebody avoid exercise. What about in a scenario where let's say that a person goes out and they do run that 30 minutes three times a week, they, they do all of that, right? But their desk job is sedentary. They are over a cumulative effect over the rest of the day. They do sit for more than eight hours. Net neutral or is the, is the benefit of that 30 minutes invested offset now by the sitting? Yeah, there's studies to suggest that that's the case, that, you know, if you go exercise for 30 minutes in a day and then you sit for eight hours, uh, you're you're hurting yourself. And, 
you know, there's even good evidence to suggest that accumulating activity throughout the day is the same as doing it all at once. I'll give you and your listeners some insight. There was a really cool study that came out a few years ago about um, what our DNA, what the DNA looked like in people who were sedentary versus people who exercised. And there's something on the end of DNA called telomeres, and these are kind of caps. And telomeres are, they protect the integrity of the DNA. So the DNA can continue to replicate as it is. People who are sedentary had really short telomeres. So the protective covers over the DNA were really small, but people who exercised had very long telomeres. And that was certainly, um, uh, you know, exciting to see that maybe there's a, maybe that's part of the reason why people who exercise live longer. So if you had, let's, if you had to parting wisdom, and I think we've got some time to do that over under thing, parting wisdom, if you had to, in you know, let's call it, let's call it three to four major things that you would say, look, if your goal is to improve the quality of your life, add those six years, you know, really do everything that you could to be cardioprotective, to really protect the heart, to get the most longevity and quality out of it that you could from an exercise standpoint, from an activity standpoint, what would you say? I would say do not sit for more than 30 minutes at a time. I would say do high intensity interval training three times a week for about 30 minutes at a time. And I would say cheer on your friends who run marathons from the sidelines. <laughs> Good advice. All right. So let's do this over under thing. And again, this is probably going to be impossible for us both to do because it is very much an it depends type of a topic. And so as I was getting ready for this, and I know this is partially based on conversations we've had when we work together, but there are several, obviously this is a nutrition podcast mostly. So I had to weave something in several topics in the nutrition world um, that suggest there's just a lot of uncertainty among the general population, mostly because governing bodies and people like us have just confused the heck out of people, right? One week it's eat eggs, one week it's don't eat eggs and you know, limit your eggs and don't worry about cholesterol, do worry about cholesterol. So I thought it would be fun for us to go through a couple of different topics and say either overrated, underrated, or however you, however we want to do it um, on these. So first up, eggs. Uh, hold on, Kyle. So um, when when I say overrated, that means the danger of it is is overplayed. Yeah, that's a good that's a good distinction. So let's say that when we when we say a topic, if they're underrated it would be helpful for the heart. And if they're overrated, harmful for the heart. Okay. Eggs, uh, underrated. Eggs have been shown to prevent strokes. Yep. Same, same for me. I'd say underrated largely because of the same reason, you know, most everything that would suggest that eggs hurt the heart are way old data that we've since come back on. And it's an excellent source of protein. There's nutrients in the yolk that you cannot get from other places. And, Definitely, in my opinion, uh, underrated. Natural sugar with natural being in quotes. So we'll use stuff like, let's call it dried fruit, normal, you know, everyday whole fruit, vegetable, anything that's a naturally occurring sugar, not necessarily added by a company. Yeah. So natural sugars are underrated. Agree. hundred percent. 
do not care about <laughs> I do not care about fruit and meaning I do not care if people are consuming fruit as a part of their diet I absolutely encourage it and so you'll hear stuff like or people will ask questions like should I stop eating these bananas I saw this post the other day where that's basically like eating 10 Reese's cups like that post is extremely misleading and fruit is extremely underrated there was a study done in France um, called the Leon Heart Study, and they had they took about uh, 400 people with heart attacks, and they divided them into two groups. One they made eat a low fat diet; the other they had eat you know whole grains, healthy fats, but a lot of fruit. And that group that ate the fruit diet, the whole grain, the healthy fats, uh, you had to you had to give one in five people that diet to prevent a heart attack compared to the low fat diet. So, so there's great evidence that eating fruit is extremely healthy for your heart. Yeah. I mean, from a, you know, doing cardiovascular, even inpatient educations and stuff from the vast majority of the research that I saw, the absolute best thing that you could do is get a person to eat fiber, right? Which is in fruits, vegetables, whole grains, and a lot of these other things and reduce saturated fat intake, which we'll talk about in a minute. If there's going to be one of these that we may disagree on, I have a feeling it's this one red meat so processed red meat overrated very harmful to the heart red meat underrated i'll I'll just preface this by there are foods that are prop that are there are three types of foods there's foods that are neutral with their effects on the heart foods that harm the heart and then foods that protect the heart and and red unprocessed red meat is probably a neutral food you may have just become the the most likable cardiologist ever. Most people like most cardiologists will give this blanket statement of no red meat. And this is the big, this is the big, 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 it depends. So I think that where a lot of that information came from was really heavily fatty marbled red meats that made up a large majority of the American diet, which would be, you know, not cardioprotective. But when you're choosing lean red meats, it's kind of back to the egg yolk conversation of there is so much nutrients in that red meat. And of course, the dose always makes the poison, right? We're assuming that you're not pounding 62 ounce steaks every day still. But and to to your point, the processed piece of that is um, I agree with 100 percent. People will often ask me, is there anything that you stay away from? I say, honestly, about the only thing that I really try hard not to include a lot is processed meats with, you know, a lot of um, sodium nitrates and things of that nature, because there is a pretty dramatic and strong correlation specifically in colon cancer uh, with consumption of that, that stuff. So here's a, here's an extension of that, that I didn't write out big interest right now in the carnivore diet, which is basically the elimination of some plants and obviously no whole grain, stuff like that. Initial thoughts. There was a study done a few years ago that you know, that kind of looked at if you replace this macronutrient with this macronutrient, what's going to happen to you. And if you replace saturated fat with poly and monounsaturated fats, there's actually a cardioprotective benefit there. And that's not saying that saturated fats are bad for you. They may be neutral for you, but when you replace that with something that's helpful for you, then it becomes helpful. The carnivore diet, um, you're you're avoiding eating a lot of things that we know to be beneficial to you. And what I tell people who eat 
eat diets like that, especially I, there's a lot of people who come in who say they're on the ketogenic diet. They're really not on a true keto diet, but they're pretty close. I tell them that they're guinea pigs. It may work. It may not work. We just don't know the long-term effects of those types of diets on heart health. Yeah, I think you the the points that you hit on with carnivore are exactly right. I, I really don't care that you're eating meat. It's more that you, there's so much stuff that you're not eating that we know prolongs health in a big way. That would be the bigger concern. And I think the second thing that people usually don't think about or maybe are unaware of is if you are, you know, the gut is a volume, right? You are feeling satiated based on volume. You're filling it with something. So my guess would be, and usually what you find is, is you're eating larger portions of meat. Fine. But most people grill meats. And there is also a very strong correlation between grilled and seared meats and risk of colon cancer. So if you go from eating, let's call it nine ounces per week of grilled meat up to 18 ounces per day of grilled meat, you are not only now not conferring the benefits because high, high fiber intakes drive down the risk of colon cancer. But so now, now you've eliminated that help and you've added in this additional component of increasing the risk because of the consumption of, of grilled meats. And so it's not really like a matter of, oh, well, I got leaner, my weight went down. Well, maybe, but there's this whole host of other things that you're, you're, you know, you're, you're trying to accomplish that you really aren't accomplishing because if you develop this other list of issues, but you got to a lower weight, I don't know that we've really done anything. So great points. So this, you, you brought this up a second ago, plant oils. And let's specifically say like canola oil. That seems to be the one that everyone just demonizes, especially right now, right? No, no plant oils, no seed oils. Those are killing you, blah, blah, blah. You know, there's a lot of um, hypotheses and, and theories, and then people take that as gospel. And um, the way I look at things is you actually have to look at studies and see what the outcomes really are before you can make an assumption about what something does to you. I mentioned earlier the Leo and Hart study and how if you put, you know, five people on this type of diet, you would prevent one heart attack, which is better than any medication we have. But the oil they gave those people in, in the good diet part of that study was olive and canola oil. Um, I, I can tell you that olive oil is probably the best studied oil, and that is is. Uh, you can never say without a doubt, but there's really good evidence that that is very cardioprotective. I can only comment on canola oil and olive oil, or excuse me, and, and avocado oil is also being healthy because those have been used in studies where there have been good outcomes when it comes to heart disease. So I'm, I'm going uh, underrated here, largely because of a lot of what you'd mentioned. But I think where this argument loses context is the package. Right. So the package in which people are consuming canola oil is what's forgotten. Fried chips, French fries, baked goods, right? There is a lot of those type of oils in that package, which we can easily overeat and will cause some of these chronic diseases. And, you know, like just the, just the, the, the clinical, the clinical diagnosis of, um, of obesity, right? Without any other, any other known issues drives up a lot of health risk, you know, j just, just by that end of things. So canola oil in general, if used in, you know, cooking or as a part of your food intake, extremely underrated just by the nutrition profile alone, you can look at that. 
but the context in which this is lost is the package in which we deliver it in in the US. That is where it's extremely overrated and can be harmful. And most of that, again, goes back to the dose makes the poison. And we, we just tend to overconsume a lot of the foods that have that stuff. Kyle, that's a great point. In fact, there was a study that backs up what you were saying out of the Scandinavian countries where they looked at people who used oil at home to fry foods to cook, that the oil was used once and then it was thrown away, but there was no harm in that. It was when the oil was used over and over and over as in, say, fast food restaurants or in commercial food preparation where you get problems with the creation of trans fats and and other types of things that could be harmful to us. Yeah, and that's even in... You know, like when you hear these one minute clips on social media who are people demonizing canola oil and giving like these random citations of studies, they often will cite things like, well, the, the, the temperature of the oil, it's like, well, yes, it sits in there for a week's time that it is degraded by then that's anything and nothing's going to last that long. So you, context is, is I think definitely important. All right. So final is saturated fat slash butter slash coconut oil. I would probably go with underrated. Really? Go for, how come? Well, I would go with well. It goes back to that neutral, <laughs> harmful, helpful thing, and I think that saturate. I mean, I'll tell you the the studies about saturated fats are are pretty neutral when it comes to heart 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 disease. Yeah, so I'm going to go. I'm going to go. I'm going to break my own rule here and go neutral as well. And here's why. I think the dose always makes the poison. If you're using some of that in moderate amounts, no harm, no foul. But to go throwing that in coffee, thinking you're conferring some sort of cardioprotective or um, weight-based benefit would be extremely misleading. So if you're if you're if you're adding it in quantities that are unnatural, thinking you're conferring some sort of an additional benefit, extremely overrated. If you're using it as a part of a dish that you enjoy simply because you like the taste better or whatever, probably neutral, if not underrated. You made a you made a you made a comment earlier that I think is important to mention in that the the exchange of certain macronutrients for others. In other words, whenever you started to swap out when you looked at studies and you had people swap out some sorts of oils for some high fiber foods and, and some of that stuff, you start to see a, a positive in, improvement. And um, I think that it's, it's probably more common sense <laughs> than a lot of folks would, than a lot of people would want to think. Dr. Nelson, I appreciate you joining me. Um, I know you have a book coming out. I don't know if I can delete this if I'm not allowed to talk about it yet, but if you want to tell people when that's coming, where to find that, how they can get a hold of it, information about your um, the blog that you've got, and, and anything else that you want, you want to leave folks with, please go ahead and feel free to elaborate on that. Well, Kyle, thanks for having me, you know, having me talk with you today. Uh, my website is lovedubdoc.com. And my book is going to be called um, An Avocado a Day Keeps the Cardiologist Away. And I would think that it would probably be out in about a year. I have six kids, a full-time job. And so, you know, every spare moment I get, I'm kind of tweaking and editing. And it's really a um, uh, my website that I'm putting together into a book. And, and my goal is really to get the word out there that you do not have to be a zealot to, to be healthy. And we are a nation of extremes. We have extreme obesity, 
but we also are extreme on the other end. We're doing, you know, triathlons, marathons, and, 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 you know, we're getting, we're sending the wrong message that to be healthy, you have to be a zealot. And, and that's not the case. Yeah, I, I agree a hundred percent. Everything on this podcast and even, even like within the program itself, I, I try to always say, look, you, there are a couple of basics. And if you follow those basics with relative consistency, you will get the absolute best outcome that you could hope for. You do not need to be a part-time, you know, cook nutrition zealot at home to, to get these, confer these changes. So I'd love to have you back on when the book does finally release and uh, talk about that, but I'll be sure to link your website and um, anything else that we talked about in the show notes for people to check out. And thank you. I think this is great. Kyle, appreciate what you do. Thanks. Thanks, Dr. Nelson. I want to be sure to say thank you, a big thank you to Dr. Nelson for joining me for such a great conversation. I appreciate his time and his expertise on the topic. Anything that we talked about in either of those episodes is listed in the show notes. So you can click that link and you can go check out more information about that at the link and uh, learn more about whatever it was that you are interested in. If you are interested in learning more about nutrition in general, we have a ton of free resources over at our website, which is v2pnutrition.com. If you are getting ready to head out first, I know the hunting seasons are about to start all over the West and Midwest and all over the U.S. If you're interested in some free guides that we have on backcountry hunting or hiking, etc., you can grab those at the website. If you're interested in diving down the deep rabbit hole of dehydrating your own food, we've got a guide over there you can check out. And maybe this topic prompted you to want to learn more about the basics with nutrition. We've got a uh, foundations course that we just launched. It's 20 weeks. It's self-guided. Once you access it, it is yours for life. You have a username and a password that will give you access to a boatload of resources that is on our website as well. Maybe you would say, look, man, I'm just here for the podcast. If that's the case, that's fine too. And I want to be sure to say thank you for joining us. It truly does mean a lot. I hope that you're getting great information out of these episodes that you can go use. It would be a massive help to us if you would jump in your podcast platform, rank the podcast, or send it to a friend that you think may be interested in it. It helps us to grow the podcast and to become a place where people can get information about nutrition that they can trust so if you want interest if you're interested in any of that please take it check it out if not we will see you back here again in a couple of weeks until then have a great week everyone